Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning and welcome to the time of preaching in our worship service today. Uh, Kind of a funny uh, little odd thing here is we're going to preach about preaching. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn in your Bibles right now to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, That's our text here today, and we're going to let God's Word speak to us uh, and through uh, the Word of God here this morning. We are doing a a series right now called Abide Together, and really this goes with our theme for the year. We're asking God uh, to help us to learn what it means to really abide in the vine of Jesus Christ. John 15 tells us all about that, and we've been learning throughout the year how to do that very thing, and now we're learning how to do that collectively. We're learning how to do that together as a church congregation. And so what we uh, have said is that we must pursue the things that Jesus loves. That's how we remain attached to the vine of Jesus Christ. And what we're learning is that there are things that He wants us to do together, that He loves when we together are doing these things. And we call them pursuits here at Harvest KL, and that's what this series is built around, the six pursuits that together we are trying to to go after uh, the way that God does as well. And so we've looked at fervent prayer, and last week we talked about passionate worship. Today is biblical preaching, and those are really uh, uh, pursuits that demonstrate that God loves us and how we love Him. And then we have uh, upcoming uh, Purposeful Discipleship, Courageous Evangelism, Strategic Mission, and we're going to talk about how we're sent to do those things as well. And so these things really describe what we are trying to become as a church. We're not perfect at any of these. We may be a little better at some than the other, but really we're striving together. We're seeking to abide together uh, in these six pursuits. And today we want to look at the topic of biblical preaching. Here at Harvest KL, we pursue biblical preaching. Let me just ask you, why did you show up for the preaching here today? Why is it that you're watching right now? You're taking uh, some time of of your Sunday uh, to gather together with the people of God, to worship Him, and to get around the the preaching of the Word of God. What is it that causes you to do that? Is it just habit? Is it just something that, that happens and, and so you just kind of have to put up with it? Or have you learned the value really of what biblical preaching is? That's what we're going for here today. I didn't always understand the value of biblical preaching. And actually, I got really confused in seminary, if, if believe it or not. That's where you're supposed to figure those things out, right? And I took a class uh, called Teaching with Skill and Influence. And I was a great teacher, and we learned the value of teaching, which is different than preaching. Teaching is when there's two-way communication, when there's this back and forth that's learning uh, together, where preaching is more of a one-way communication, and so they're very different, right? And and I got so excited about this issue of teaching, I, I began to wonder why preaching was even necessary in the church. 
In fact, I really began to struggle with it. And in the church I was in, I even began to think and dream a little bit about how we would get together and there would be worship elements, but then there wouldn't be preaching. It would be more teaching where there's discussion based going back and forth. And I, for a while, I thought that was a really great idea right up until I read 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I saw in there the importance of, of preaching uh, according to Paul in that passage. So let me just let me just read it for you here quickly. He says, um, he says in I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter two. I had Second Corinthians chapter two, First Corinthians chapter two. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I began to see how important preaching was from that text right there. And then I came across another one in 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy chapter 4, chapter 4, which we're going to look at here today. And, and the first five verses of that chapter say this. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You see, I, as, I stu- as I understood God's word, as I understood these two key passages, in fact, I began to realize that preaching is a vital activity within the church. And so I begin to realize that, that in this passage, I mean, just look right again at verse 1. Paul here is speaking to Timothy, a younger pastor. He's written him this letter as Timothy is a pastor in Ephesus. And he says, I charge you. Now, that's a pretty big deal. To charge somebody is, is not a light thing. It's actually a weighty thing. It's the idea of being solemn and fervent and emphatic. And then he says, I charge you in the presence of God. He's talking about how serious this is, that God is listening to what we are saying in the preaching. And then he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge. We're going to give an account for what Paul has charged us to do in preaching the word. Now, you're going to take a test is really what this is saying here. What Paul is trying to help us understand in verse 1 is, I'm charging you to do something because there is a test coming. You're going to be evaluated. Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge you on this particular matter. And so I began to think about evaluations, and oftentimes that happens in school, right? You have to take a test, and that's where things are evaluated. And 
I had a class in college. It was the hardest class that every student in college had to take. It was one of the required classes. It was called cultural development. And it was a study of art throughout history. It was an art history class. And they were, this class was known as the hardest class in, at the college. Everybody took it. Many people failed it and had to repeat. Some people couldn't graduate because they failed in this class. It was incredibly hard, the hardest one. And it was impossible to pass the tests if you tried to cram for them. You know what cramming is, right? Like you stay up all night the night before the test. And I remember my class was 7.30 in the morning and my exam started at 7.30 in the morning. We, we would stay up as late as we could. We would then only get a few maybe hours of sleep and then we would take the exam. And, and listen, if you crammed for it that way, you didn't make it because you had to learn over time. We knew we had to give an account for the material and it wasn't enough to do it at the last minute. We had to live it out moment by moment. And when Paul says here, I charge you, you're going to be judged in this matter. He's taking it very seriously and he says, preach the word, the word of God. Now, the word preach is the idea, uh, is the Greek word caruso. It means to herald or to publicly proclaim or to announce. And many times we look at this word and we go, wait a second. This is, this is a section for the pastors, right? It's not for everybody. It's not for us normal people sitting here. Pastor Nate, it, this is for you. This isn't for all the rest of us. It, it, isn't that right? Like Paul's talking to a young pastor and charging the young pastor. And I'm not a pastor, so it's not really for me. Well, that's not actually the case. What I want to show you here is that for sure there is a formal gifting that God gives to some for the preaching of his word. But there is also an informal skill that I believe every single believer is called to that we all together need to listen to this message and listen to the charge that Paul gives us and realize that we're going to give an account and that this is something that we each and every one of us needs to know and understand how to do. So preaching class. Just kidding. You don't have to preach, right? Not publicly, not in this way, but every single person is going to have some responsibility. You're going to see how important this is for all of us to understand and to be able to do in just a little bit. So I'm going to teach about preaching from a preacher to a young preacher. And, and in this, yes, very much for me and how, how preachers are supposed to preach, how pastors are supposed to preach. But even as I show you that, you're going to see that there's an intersection with everybody's life. All of us are going to have responsibility here. And so uh, I'm saying it this way. Every believer has the same ability to proclaim both powerfully and practically to a, any culture, at any time, at any place. I'm going to show you that here in a second, and you're going to see this is the method of Jesus. This was the method of the apostles, and that really this is something that we all have to grasp and understand. So the big idea here today is simply this. Biblical preaching is gospel-centered and life-changing. Now that's a pretty heavy statement when you begin to realize the totality of everything that is there, but that's what Paul is saying here in these couple of verses. By the way, Paul is writing this, and this is like the very last thing that Paul records that is in Scripture. 
Paul says in a little bit, I, I know that I'm, I'm being poured out, I, like the end of my life is coming. And, and really, this is like the last chapter, the last couple of paragraphs that he writes that is passed down through history in Scripture. And so you think about how important it is, like what, if you were to give kind of a last words to somebody that you really loved, they, they would be some of your most important words. And that's what Paul is doing here. And it's interesting, he charges Timothy and us to preach the word. What that means is, when we preach the word, we, it's the exposition of the word. Now, exposition is not a, a common thing that we use in English, right? But, but it describes preaching. Expositional preaching is actually really important. Expositional preacher, preaching is, is when you take the meaning of the word of God and make that the meaning of what you're preaching. It's not some preacher in his office making something up, thinking of his best ideas, looking at philosophers and other things and, and using them as sources, although sometimes that helps in the preaching. But expositional preaching is when we concentrate on what is the meaning of this particular text. And then let me tell you, Harold, proclaim it to you in the preaching of God's word. So much of the preaching of the Word of God is not that today. And so expositional, uh, exposition of the Word, it's when we tell people what the Word of God actually says. But it's not enough to do that. Preaching is also explan explanation of the Word. It's when we tell them what it means. Not just what it says, but what it means. And then you have to go one more step and there's exhortation of the Word. And that's when you tell them what to do about it. So, so we need to tell them what it says, what it means, and then what we're supposed to do as a result of that. The problem is so much of the preaching in the world today is different than that. So let me just, uh, a quick list, five things done instead of preaching. Five things that, that are not actually the way the Word of God tells us that we should preach. Number one is this, it's the entertainment of people. It's the idea of lots of stories and videos and illustrations and, and really so much of that, that that you can't actually even really understand the point because there's an entertainment that's trying to be done. We want people to feel good and to, to, to just uh, love, love not having to think in what they're doing at that moment. And many times what we have is just a lot of felt needs in all of that. Uh, many times uh, the, the, these preachers often tell you, you can only preach for like 15 minutes because people can't understand things past that. And, and, and in that, they often say that, well, you bore God's people if, it go, if you're not entertaining them. And I would just contend, like if you understand what the word of God has to say, it's not boring at all. If we were to just get down on our knees and let God's word influence us, the people who are listening will not be bored if the preacher isn't bored with the word of God. Here's the second thing. It's, it's sharing. Sharing is done instead of preaching. And many times it's about sharing myself and what's going on inside of me rather than saying, this is what the word of God has to say. Oftentimes it's like, oh, this, I, this, I was journaling and the, these are just some of my thoughts in the midst of this. And let me share you, share my feelings about what's going on here. And, and listen, it's good to reflect. And I think a preacher needs to meditate on God's word and be influenced by it. But preaching is not telling people what you think about something. It's not about you when you preach. 2 Corinthians 4 says that if we or an angel preach uh, any message other than the gospel, if we're preaching ourselves, that, that, we should, that we should get rid of them. Like they're not supposed to be uh, in the position of preaching at that spot. We don't preach ourselves, we preach the word of God. 
Here's the third thing. It's a wooing is what happens. Wooing is when you, when you draw somebody to yourself. And the wooing kind of preaching is oftentimes, it doesn't get to the really core of what's going on because it doesn't want to offend anybody. It doesn't want to upset anybody. And so in all of this, we're trying to make the gospel attractive. And so many times that causes a watering down of what the, the, the potency of what God's Word actually has to say. So we're careful not to offend. We add just a little pinch of truth in there. Uh, but as one person has said it, um, this kind of preaching is so watered down that the non-elect can't even reject it. And what we see here is uh, that Galatians chapter 1 says that if we preach a different message than the one that's in the Word of God, then we are cursed. Listen, we can't do that. A fourth type of preaching that is done, or fourth thing that's done instead of preaching is intellectualizing. And this is when you have a system and a way of thinking and, it, and, and an academic system. So there's seven dispensations of this and five covenants of that. And, and, and what you're doing is you're, you're, you're telling people more about the theological constructs and framework that you've come up with than what God's Word actually has to say. And many times it sounds so smart. It has all the references to the Talmud and to the customs and cultures of that particular day. Uh, but in all of that, we, we, we're missing actually the Word of God. And then lastly, what we see is that there's oftentimes abbreviation. I don't know how to say this other than that uh, many times this kind of preaching is the, is the idea that, that just keep it short and simple. People can't handle things that are, that are more weighty. And so you just got to go with the lowest common denominator in this. And, and these, this type of feed, preaching is oftentimes like give them 20 minutes and a, and a short poem and things are done. Listen, if you're going to preach God's word, like it takes like 10 minutes to kind of set things up and get people engaged in what the Word of God is saying. It takes five minutes to kind of take it, bring it down and, and, and help, help them land on what God is calling them to do. That only leaves five minutes to drill into the Word of God. And listen, if you only drill for five minutes, you're not going what? You're not going very deep. And so in this, we see that many times these are poor substitutes for what preaching is supposed to be. And it's not that none of these things should be involved in preaching. Don't hear it wrong. Don't take it to the extremes. But it's just that the main thing about preaching isn't being accomplished at that moment. And so we need to ask ourselves, what is preaching? What is biblical preaching? And 2 Timothy 4 defines that for us. Biblical preaching is, let me tell you, there's seven things here that we're going to talk about. Biblical preaching is... Let's define it here in seven, seven ways that the text defines it for us. We're going to let the Word of God speak, and we're going to draw out what God's Word. It's expositional preaching that we're even doing right now as we do this, right? So the, as we define biblical preaching, first, uh, biblical preaching is convinced and committed to the power of the Word of God. The charge here is to preach the Word, not, not preach counseling and healing techniques and, and, and miracles. We're to preach the Word of God. That's the thing that God wants delivered through the preaching of His Word. There was a young preacher who was taking his first, his first posting, and it was in a town, a university town. And he was so concerned as he began to put together his first sermon. Actually, he, he had nothing on his, piece of, on, on, his, on his notes as he began to do this. And so uh, he called his dad. 
And his dad was a preacher as well. And he says, Dad, I, I, I got this brain blockage. I don't know what to do. I, I'm in this town and I'm supposed to preach. And my audience is full of professors. If I talk about geology, there's somebody that knows so much more than me. And if I talk about sociology, there's professors of that there. If I talk about philosophy, there's PhD doctors that are part of that. What do I do? And his dad said, just preach the Bible, son. They don't know very much about that. You see, that's really what Paul is telling Timothy right here in this passage. Paul is saying, preach the word to reach the world. And so many times we feel like the word of God is not sufficient. It's not enough to have to preach. And so we oftentimes begin to look into other things. We, we begin to think about felt needs. What, are, what do the people feel like they need? What are the struggles that they're having? And listen, I think every good preacher is concerned about those things. But it's not the primary thing that he's trying to address when he's doing the preaching of God's Word, if he's committed to the power of the Word of God. So uh, we don't talk about, we don't preach primarily to preach uh, felt needs first because the gospel is really not primarily about felt needs. The gospel, when you read the book of Romans, the gospel is talking about how you need to realize that you're a sinner and then you need to repent of your sin. And, and to do that, you need to receive Jesus Christ as, as your Savior. I would contend to you that all three of those things are unfelt needs. And the book of Romans isn't going after your felt, felt need in that way. Uh, and yet in this, what we see here is, is that as, we, as the Holy Spirit leads people into the Word of God, it says the Holy Spirit is going to draw them through, to repentance through His kindness. And then a little bit later in Romans, it says that, uh, that if we speak the word of God, if we proclaim it, if we preach it, how can they believe it if somebody doesn't preach it and, and, and they hear it at that moment? You see, in this, if we were to just make the word of God the very center thing that we are communicating to people and not letting other things get in front of it, everything that we need, everything that the people need are, is going to be found there. Preaching that fails to confront and fails to convict and fails to convert does not meet the greatest needs that humans actually have. And yet the Word of God meets every felt need and it even informs us of needs we didn't even know we had. The Word of God then is like a fire and it's like a sword and it's like a light. Listen, the Word of God is like a fire that melts the coldest heart. And it's like a sword that cuts through the hardest soul. And it's like a light that enlightens the darkest mind. And that's why when I say every believer has the same ability to proclaim both powerfully and practically to any culture, any place, anywhere, everybody has the same ability to do that. It's not just the special preacher, guys. Every single one of us has that. It's because I have this firm belief in the sufficiency of Scripture and what it can do. And if you and I, just as men and women of God, are to open God's Word and, and, and proclaim what is there, every single one of us, can be preaching, preaching the word in a way that is powerful and effective in people's lives. 
In fact, if you were to just look at the context, you would look here at, at a couple of verses just above. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he's talking about how convinced he is about the Word of God, and he's saying this, the Word of God is breathed out. It's the breath of God that are on the pages of Scripture. Actually, Hebrews uh, talks about this in another way. Uh, it talks about how powerful that is. It says, for the word of Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's the word of God that gets to the most inner parts of who we are because it's God-breathed out. It's this living, active. Remember, Adam and Eve, when he formed them in the garden, they, they weren't alive until he breathed his breath into them. And God's word has that breath in it. It's living and active. And, it's, and therefore, uh, we see how profitable it is. He says here four things about it. It says that it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction in righteousness. I've heard it said this way, and it's stuck in my mind. I commend it to you. It's profitable for what's right, for what's not right, for how to get right, and how to stay right. Listen, those are powerful concepts that the Word of God actively does in us. And then the man and woman of God is complete because of God's Word, helping us understand what's right, what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. That's where, uh, that's the completion process that happens there. So we've got to be convinced and committed to the power of God's Word. Here's the second thing. We need to be ready for battle. Notice here in verse 2, it says, Preach the Word. Be ready. Be ready. That, that word there is actually in the Greek, a word that talks about how a soldier is to be prepared for battle, how he's not supposed to let his guard down at any moment, but that he should always be on alert, ready to jump into action so that there's no surprise attack against him. He's to be sharp, alert, and prepared. Which got me to thinking, how many times have I missed the opportunity to preach the word how many times did I get off the elevator and realized I should have said something differently? How many times after I put my kids to bed do I realize, oh, I could have said that. I could have helped them understand God more clearly. How many times have you missed an opportunity because we, we haven't taken seriously the charge to preach the word, which means to be ready, be prepared at any moment. No surprise attacks that we could tell others about God. Here's the third thing. It says, be ready in season and out of season. The third thing is that biblical preaching is faithfully consistent. I thought a lot about putting those two words together, faithfully consistent. I don't want to double speak here. I don't want to say the same things uh, using two different words and got to thinking about it like this is really important. Yes, there's consistency and faithfulness, and yes, consistency is faithful. And yet in all of that, what it's trying to tell us here is that there needs to be this continuous, faithful, uh, uh, constant preaching that happens no matter what the circumstances around us happen to be. 
So when it's convenient, preach the word. When it's popular, preach the word. When people like it, preach the word. That's in-season preaching. And when, when it's not convenient, preach the word. And when it's not popular, preach the word. And when people don't like it, preach the word. That's out-of-season preaching. Preach in-season and out-of-season. Now, in this, I think it's important to realize that it's not your job to make God's word acceptable, but it is your job to make God's word available. And so many times we get shut down, right? We, we get to the spot where oh, people don't really want to do that. It's, it's this out-of-season thing. It's not really what their interest is. And we don't make the word of God available because we misunderstand this. Actually, Paul is concerned about this. He expands on, expands on this in verse 3 and 4. Read, read it with me again. It says in verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, that, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Wow, if there was ever a day and age when that verse is true, right? It says that there's going to be a time when people do not endure sound teaching. This word sound is actually the Greek word where we get our English word for hygiene. Hygiene is, is our health and our cleanliness, right? And so they're not going to endure sound teacher teaching. They're going to say, I don't want you to tell me how to be spiritually healthy or consistently holy. I don't want you to tell me that but I want you to tell me how to be personally happy. And, and, and you see, in that, we see the lack of sound teaching. It goes on to say, not just lack of sound teaching, but they're, they're going to have itching ears. So go ahead, just itch your ear for a minute right now, okay? They're going to have itching ears. It's, it's not really talking about the physical itching and scratching that we sometimes feel there. It's, it's this idea that they want to hear something. Notice here, it says that they want, they want to get teachers, who will, uh, teachers to suit their own passions. I want a pastor who just makes me feel good. I want a pastor who tells me what I already know and just affirms me in that. I want a pastor who's just encouraging me, never challenges me to do something that's different. I want a pastor... Listen, that fits my way of life because I do not want to change my life for what God is for what God has said. And so we see people concerned way more about the length of the sermon than the depth of the sermon. Concerned way more about the clock than truth. Thinking much more about what God can do for me rather than how I serve and worship him. People who want to hear, but uh, people who want to hear what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. I really appreciate how Eugene Peterson, who wrote a translation of the Bible called The Message, has said it here. He said it this way, verses 3, 4, and 5 in his translation. You're going to find that there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food. Catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They will turn their backs on truth and chase mirages. But you, keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard times along with the good. Keep the message alive. Do a thorough job as God's servant. Here's the next thing. Biblical preaching 
is also convicting. That's where this word here, look at verse 2 again. It says, be ready in season and out of season. Notice then, reprove. Uh, that's a hard one. Like, what's, what does that mean? Reprove. It's to confront people with the facts of their sin. It's this idea of, I have to tell you what's wrong and, and you should be convicted by this. I have to show you what you did wrong here. And so this kind of preaching, it doesn't just talk about collective sins and, oh, we need to treat the earth better and there's some things that we need to clean up about our society. It's not about the collective sins. It's about the personal, individual sins that cause us to have a lost relationship with God. Now, in this, I very firmly believe that it's not my job to convict you. I believe that's the Holy Spirit's job, that the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts of our lost condition. But Somebody needs to stand up and take responsibility to tell people what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. So we need to preach the whole counsel of God. It's when the Word of God is magnified, and the Son of God is glorified, and the Church of God is edified, and the Spirit of God is satisfied that biblical preaching is happening. Here's the next thing. Biblical preaching is courageous. Notice the next word. We not only reprove, but we rebuke. Rebuke is when we confront people with the fault of their sin. Remember, reprove was confronting people with the fact of their sin. Hey, you're a sinner. You did that wrong. Reproving is when we confront them with the fault of their sin. Hey, you did this wrong, and that actually matters. Really, it's, the idea of reproving is a sharp word. It's kind of like stop it. It's actually the same word that we see in the Gospels when Jesus rebuked the storm. Stop it. And in this, we, we need to help people understand not only are you a sinner, but the sin is an affront to a holy God. And His wrath is poured out against those who are sinners unless there's a repentance that restores relationship. And that takes courage. Because someone is going to be offended in that. Somebody will get upset, and there's a good chance you're going to be called all sorts of names in that. Now, I'm not advocating for this red-faced, angry type of teacher, but what I'm saying is, if you winsomely even tell people about Jesus, and there's a rebuke that comes part of that, there's going to be people who don't like that. You're going to be losing in the popularity contests. Here's the next thing. Biblical preaching is constructive. Notice the next word here, reprove, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Again, that's a word that's kind of hard to understand sometimes. We don't use it a lot in English, but it means to build up. It means to build up with encouragement. Really, it's the tender follow-up that's supposed to happen when there's reproving and rebuking that has happened. So I think you need to understand that our message that we preach, it's not primarily negative. Our, our message is primarily positive. I mean, there, there, there's a great message that we have. There's good news. There's victory that's been won. You didn't do anything to deserve it. Uh, really, you were the enemy of God, but you get to have that. And I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to tell to you that God loves you and he wants that from you. But there's a warning that comes as well. Listen, you're not on the right side until you believe in Jesus Christ. Our preaching should talk more Many times it talks about how we, what we cannot be without Jesus. But I think our preaching more often needs to talk about what we can be because of being with Jesus. 
And so it's possible to say the right thing in the wrong way. And when we do that, I would suggest we're wrong. And just a kind of funny illustration here. There was a priest and a rabbi who were out fishing in the country one day. They, they had a sign right next to them as they were sitting there by the side of the road. It was a big sign that they had painted and it said, turn around, the end is near. A man drove past and, and somebody who was offended at their religious sensibilities yelled out at them, you religious nuts, and just went speeding by. Sure enough, they heard a screech of tires and then a splash into the lake. The priest leaned over to the rabbi and said, you should have just written bridge out. You see, it's possible to say the right thing in the wrong way. And, and in that, to not help people understand that. So we need, to, we need to exhort. We need to not just tell people the things they've done wrong, but we need to tell them how they can be right and how much greater that actually is. That goes along with the last thing. Biblical preaching is compassionate. It's compassionate. It says here, with complete patience and teaching, just real simply here, that when we preach, not angry, not upset, not frustrated with people, with patience and teaching. It's this instruction, this I care about you and I want you to advance in the knowledge of these things so that you can live differently as a result of them. In that we have to remember Rome was not built in a day. Roses do not bloom in a moment. Fruit is not produced in a minute. We may not see God-sized results immediately upon the proclamation and the preaching of God's word, but just keep preaching. Don't give up on that. That's because of our confidence in the word of God that we already talked about beforehand. And I want to show you Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11 that talks about the effectiveness, the sufficiency of what God's word is. Isaiah writes it this way. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Listen, God is saying right here, my word is sufficient. It's effective. It does what, I, what, I, what it says it does. It transforms people when they hear the word of God. Actually, the next two verses talk about that. They talk about how the, the effect of the word of God is that it causes people to worship and it causes them to be changed, to be transformed. And so there's great confidence in the word of God that we can see that when we preach, listen, preach the word. Don't preach anything else. Don't preach yourself. Don't, don't preach a watered-down version of it. Don't preach your intellect. Just preach the Word of God. Just simply get the Word of God in front of people and tell them what it says and what it means and, and what they should do as a result of it. So let me ask you here today, just an application here. Is this the day where you will commit to preaching the Word or maybe recommit yourself to biblical preaching? Will you do the work to, to look into God's word, to see it's not boring. And when I get on my knees and I, I see what it says, I get so excited to tell other people about what it is, about who God is as revealed to him there. 
Listen, we need to be convinced and confident and committed to what the Word of God is if we're going to biblically preach the way that God has intended for it to happen. So we've described here what biblical preaching is. Now we need to talk about what the key to biblical preaching is. It's point number two here. Biblical preaching is gospel-centered. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is a verse that is filled with gospel-centered concepts. And I want to show you what, it, what they are. What we're saying here is, I have to be gospel-centered if I'm going to biblically preach, if I'm going to preach the word the way that Paul has charged us to do here. So notice here, he says, as for you, always be sober-minded. That's number one. Sober-minded is a gospel concept. It's actually the idea of being watchful. But not watchful like alert for, for like the soldiers earlier. It was the idea of looking around at culture and understanding what's going on around you. It's a watchfulness that says, I kind of, I can see the trends and the patterns and I'm thinking about those things along with the word of God. We're being alert to the culture. So a famous philosopher, Karl Barth, has said this. Take the Bible in your hand and take your newspaper in the other and read both but interpret newspapers from your Bible. What he's saying here is be watchful, be sober-minded, be gospel-centered. Look at the things of the, that are going around, the, around in the world. As you watch the news and you read the news feeds, don't uh, allow their message to influence you. Let the Word of God influence how you read those very things. You see, when we preach the Word, People are going to want to know, how does it affect my life around me? And you're going to have to be able to connect with that. When people are listening to a sermon, they're asking two questions. They're asking, number one, so what? They're asking, really, what does it mean? And then they're asking a second question, now what? And then they're asking, what do I do about it? And so we must meet, the the preaching of the Word of God must meet us at the practical, real-life intersections of the things that we are walking through together. Listen, not being driven and let that that drive our sermon, but let the Word of God do that and connect to it. Here's the second thing. We need to endure suffering. And this is such a gospel concept. The reality is that Paul is trying to help us understand here is that when you preach biblically, when you proclaim what God says, you're going to have moments of rejection. That's not an exciting thing. That's not like, oh, I get excited about that. And that's a hard thing. And yet what we see here is that we have somebody who has gone before us and taught us how to do this, modeled for us how to do this, and then actually given the provision for when we are rejected. And it's the model of Jesus Christ. If you were to read the Gospels, you would see how he preaches biblically, that how he preaches the Word. He's always bringing the Old Testament into his preaching. We would see the model of how he intersects with practical things, but it's not based upon felt needs. And we would see that he's ultimately rejected. But that for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and and and. and uh, and trust Him for the rejection of what's going on around us, there is great reward. There is great promise for what is yet to come. Like, we don't lose anything. 
Even in a moment of rejection, we don't lose anything because we have the reward of Jesus for ourselves. Somebody has said that to be a biblical proclaimer of God's word, we need a mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the skin of a rhinoceros. If preaching is going to count, it's going to cost. I mean, this is what Jesus said. You have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to give up some of the things that you value and some of the th- including there's moments where you're going to suffer for my, for my name's sake. But that's something that we are called to and that Jesus provides for us when that happens. Notice the next phrase then. It says, do the work of an evangelist. Well, that's obviously gospel-centered. What it's saying is tell people about Jesus. There's good news. There's victory news. The message is he has won. And when you put your faith and trust in him, you join the victor's parade. You are with him. This is the work of biblical preaching. The realization that I have a purpose on this life. I have a mission. And that is to be the witness of Jesus Christ. To just tell people what I've seen and experienced about him. And in this, we must do the work of an evangelist. And then lastly, notice here, it says, fulfill your ministry. That's a command. <laughs> that's, that's part of the charge. It, it, it's saying, do your job. Preach the word as the witness of me. Be accountable to this. Now in this, we're going to have to depend upon Jesus. And I'll tell you, as somebody who is professionally a preacher, 2 Timothy 4 verse 17 is an important verse for those of us as we look at this. It says this. He talks about all the pain that he had had and persevering in this ministry of preaching the word. And he says, but the Lord stood by me and he strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. That was his specific mission. Notice here he says, fully proclaimed. Because he's depending upon Jesus. It's the Lord standing by him. It's the Lord strengthening him so he's able to endure. So in application, we have to come to the conclusion, it's not, it's not an option. I must be gospel-centered if I'm going to preach the word, if I'm going to obey the charge to preach the word. So let me ask you, are you gospel-centered? Are you watchful? Do you endure suffering? Do you do the work of an evangelist? Are you fulfilling your calling? Are you fulfilling the ministry of preaching the word in this way? And in that, check, do you even have the right gospel? It's possible that you've had preachers preaching to you all your life, but through one of those non-preaching ways that we talked about at the very beginning. You've had preachers entertain you and share with you and woo you and show their intellect to you and just an abbreviated way, not really ever dig into God's word. Listen, God wants to recover that from you and he wants to give you an, an opportunity even right now to, to, to acknowledge that I have not understood who God has described me to be. And to believe that Jesus actually paid the price for me and to confess that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I've heard a gospel that's different than what God's word is actually telling me through one of those methods. And so today I want to bring that into correction and I want to, I want to believe the gospel as preached here. One last thing to say here this morning. 
We've seen what biblical preaching is. We've seen that the key to it is being gospel-centered. But lastly, what does it do? And why should you be a biblical preacher? It's because point number three is this. Biblical preaching is life-changing. Now, we have to understand the context of 2 Timothy to really see the fullness of this. But what we see here is that when Paul says, preach the word, he uses, like I said before, the Greek word caruso. This idea of caruso is to be a herald and to be a publicly pro proclaiming something, to be an announcer. And so it's like this, to be a herald, I kind of think of the ancient times anyways, when it comes to the idea of herald, I think of being at the front of a Roman victory parade, a Roman triumph where the general has conquered and there's somebody at the front shouting all of his accomplishments. When I think of being a, a, a proclaimer of God's word, I think of it being publicly proclaimed. I think of it in this way. I get to perform weddings, and one of my favorite parts of the wedding is something that a preacher gets to do. Nobody else gets to do, right? After everybody has, has been married, after all the activity of the ceremony has occurred, he, he has the couple turn around and he says, and now for the first time in public, I introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Smith, last name, right? And that's the idea of publicly proclaiming their marriage at that moment. The idea of being a herald is, or a proclaimer is not just a herald or public proclamation, but it's the announcer. And this is what I think about when I walk through an airport. And as I'm walking through the airport, suddenly the loudspeaker, a voice with no personality, but you just hear the voice, right? Paging Mr. So-and-so, please meet us at gate G15, right? And there's this instruction that comes as the announcement is given. Listen, a Caruso is a herald, a public proclamation, and an announcement of the victory news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it's life-changing when it happens. This is why you and I should be involved in this activity, even if it's not the professional preaching of God's word in the worship services at our church. <clears throat> to illustrate that, let me just tell you the story of a young boy. There's a little boy who grew up in central Turkey. We don't really know where his father was. His father's not mentioned in any of his stories. And, and, and so, but we do know that there were some key people in his life. There, there was a grandmother. Grandmother's name was Lois. And every time little Timmy would go over to Grandma Lois's house, she would prepare meals for them and play games with him. And, but she was always talking about Jesus. She was always talking about uh, the Word of God and the principles of it. And it was just happening all the time. And, and, and it was just kind of, uh, Timmy, little Timmy would just kind of roll his eyes sometimes, but slowly things were being planted into his life. And then when he was at home with his mom, his mom's name was Eunice, and, and his mom would talk to him about what was going on. They had this good relationship. They could reveal things. But one time Timmy was like, you know what, mom, it just, you always use the Jesus argument and you always win because of it. I just go, get so sick and tired of that. And, and, and yet in that he recognizes that there's something really valuable to his mom speaking these things. And then there's a man at church who begins to disciple him in youth group. And, and not only in youth group, but he sees something in him. And so he begins to train him in ministry so that he would learn how to be a professional, a clergy member, a, a preacher. And, and, and this, this little boy's name was Tim, Timothy. And we know his story because of what we see one page over. Just go to 1, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It says this. 
Paul writing, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. How could Paul be so sure that it dwells in Timothy? Well, it was because he was leading the youth group. He was the one that was teaching Timothy as well. Look, turn your page back over to 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15. It says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. We just read who he learned it from, right? Grandma Lois and his mom Eunice. And Paul continues and says, And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we see here that Timothy had a faith passed down to him because he had a grandmother who was preaching the word and a mom who was preaching the word and a man in the church who said to him, who preached the word to him. And then he's able to say, hold fast to that preaching because the result of biblical preaching is that Timothy is saved. Listen, the reason why this passage is not just for the professional preachers, but it's for every believer is because you need to understand, preach the word, your kids will get saved. Preach the word, your mom and dad will get saved. Preach the word, your siblings who have not yet believed in Jesus, they'll be saved if you learn to preach the word. Are you biblically preaching? This is really something that is for all of us. We want to abide together in this. We, yes, we want to gather around the preaching of God's word. That's part of how we abide together. But my point really that I'm trying to get us to here today is to help you realize and take responsibility. I need to hear the charge from Paul. Preach the word. Because it reveals the gospel when I preach the word and that changes lives. And there's people I love who need their lives changed by Jesus. Listen, we know that the biblical way to respond to the word of God is to repent of ways that we may have been doing things wrong. That doesn't mean that you were intentionally breaking the charge to preach the word. But maybe you've just realized, I've not had the confidence of the, in the word of God that way. I've not taken the time to dig into God's word so I can produce it, for, to be ready to tell others about it. I've been more concerned with popularity. It's not in season than, than actually what the truth of God's word is. And wow, I could never reprove somebody. I could never rebuke somebody, but I like the encouragement. Listen, any of those things you're realizing, I haven't been biblically preaching and I need to repent. And in repenting, just proclaim your inability to figure that out on your own. That's really a key part of repenting. It's not like, oh, I'm doing this wrong, so I'm just going to try to do things harder in my own strength. It's, ah, oh, I've done this wrong, and God, help me, save me. I can't change the way you want me to change in this. And then, with a look of faith, believe in Jesus Christ. Believe in what he has said, that, that the word of God is profitable. It's breathed out by God. It's God's breath itself. It's living and active, and it's Powerful to do the work of change. If you'll just concentrate on the sufficiency of God's word and trust in that and have the confidence in those things. And then you can fight or you can live. You can start to act these things out. You can commit yourself to the charge. Preach the word. Biblical preaching is gospel-centered and life 
changing. And in that, it tells us everything we need. Let's believe that. Let's trust that. Let's have the confidence of that. Let's preach the word so that lives are changed and the gospel is displayed and Christ is made much of. Let's pray for that now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and that you have told us, you've charged us to preach it. God, we have so much to learn about how to do that. But I thank you that your word doesn't leave us hanging. It, it tells us, it tells us how we are to do that. Lord, as we've looked at these different characteristics of what biblical preaching is, God, allow us, don't let, don't let us be overwhelmed. Let us see the joy of pursuing a love for your word that then speaks and proclaims it to those around us. God, don't allow us to come to the place where we do not endure sound teaching. And we have itching ears that just is concerned mostly about ourselves and that leads us to turn away and wander into myths. God, keep us from that, we pray. Help us to have this great confidence and love for your word and exalt you as we explain it to those around us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.